as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. So, we're back with a very special episode that details a one-of-a-kind cult action horror franchise. And with me to tackle it, uh, you start the war, he'll kill you and it. It's Sean Smith from uh, the House That Screams podcast. How we doing? Very good. Uh, he Commandos die hard at high noon. It's Robin Takora. Hello, cinema drunkie himself. So, I'm just gonna circle around. Now, uh, not as not as full of rune as I thought it'd be, but it's gonna be full enough. So, uh, yeah, that was surprising that uh, more people didn't jump in on this one. I know, especially how many people talk about this. And but yeah. it, so, uh, who wants to go first and how they got introduced to this cult icon? Uh. Um, I, uh, actually, uh, I first discovered it through, um, I used to frequent, uh, when I was a kid, this, uh, video store called Bondi's, and, um, it was apparent that, uh, the people who were running it were, like, horror fans, because all they had was horror posters of it, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, all around, like, you know, I, I vividly remember discovering the, the, the poster for Chopping Mall, yeah. uh, in that uh in that video place the the store and um i remember it was a record and video store and the record store was like the when you like the first floor and then the basement was a video store and then you had to go down the stairs and on um, the ceiling of the you didn't invent this <laughs> and on the, the the ceiling of the stairs they had a poster for the kiss you know with joanna pacuya and meredith salinger oh, and yeah and that poster used to terrify the shit out of me so every time <laughs> i would go to this place like to rent tapes i would have to cover my eyes so i didn't see it but, <laughs> like the same so, the lost art don't look at it right so one of the times that we was down there we used to go down there to rent like all kind of shit like especially like he-man and thundercat episodes and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh like they had phantasm i believe two playing on the screen and that was the first time i had ever yeah. seen anything and i'm just sitting there like fucking four or five years old looking at phantasm on the screen like no you shouldn't be watching this Back <laughs> you know they started being careful of what they would show as a preview at the video store <laughs> right, right. 
But, you know, this was like an independent video, so they didn't give a shit what they were showing. Like, you know, sorry you can't have to see that, but we're not turning this shit off. Yeah. <laughs> There's one that I've always wanted to for years to be a clerk at uh, called On Video, and it, it would just, it had really good deals. Like, you could buy the movies in the stock if you were filling up to it, or you could choose your rental plan. And they, I'm not kidding. They had a, such a diverse library, you know, and this is back when early 2010s, late 2000s. So, yeah, uh, Blockbuster's mm-hmm. already shutting down, getting its ass handed to it by Netflix. But it's like uh, I would at the most they would just have a PG-13 movie just playing on screen. I'm like, OK, so I'm not going to see anything. That's just what the hell's going on. But right. They had plenty of other movies where it's like, I really don't want to leave with this movie and just be called a weirdo because it just looks like some weird cult horror film or <laughs> something over the top. It's like, yeah, they made this. Yeah, I uh, see. Man, so uh, Bondies. Well, so James Bond has but, some stock in a video company. Bondies. Bobby's, okay. Bondies. <laughs> Bondies. We'll see, that's what Bond- I'm saying. By James Bond, but with the heat. <laughs> All right. <sighs> Sean, break it down for us. How do you get so, discover this? <laughs> I, I kind of had a similar story, um, and, and I've talked about this a little bit on House of Screams. Um, my dad was a huge horror fanatic, and, you know, my mom did not like the fact that he would let me watch some of these movies um, <laughs> when I was, I, you know, I was probably seven, eight years old. And we had a mom and pop video store. Um, and this was, you know, 87, 88. Um, and it was called superior video. And it was, <laughs> and it was like in the middle of the ghetto, um, oh, little damn. hole in the wall. Um, but, and Rob, you can probably attest to this. Um, the, the video stores always had like this distinct smell. Yes. Um, and I don't know if it was, you know, if, if it was from the tape that they used or, or the, the plastic of, of the, the VHS uh, cassettes. But um, I think that's what it was. And, it, it, you know, it's just one of those those nostalgic smells that, you know, bring back memories. But anyway, we uh, my dad used to take me to this video store and and we would go around and, and he would, you know, <laughs> he would pick out these movies. And if anything appealed to me, he would let me pick it out. And I remember coming across the case for Phantasm and, you know, it was just, it was such a weird looking case. You had, you know, Angus Scrim on the, on it. You had the, the, the nefarious ball, um, yeah. you know, spears. Um, and, and I remember, you know, we, we got this and we took it home and this, this movie terrified me and just Angus Scrim himself, um, you know, the tall man, it was, he was just, I don't know. It was, it was so different now, you know, you gotta understand I was watching Hellraiser. I was watching Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, all this stuff, but, <laughs> but it was something about Angus Scrimm's performance that just terrified me. Um, and, you know, with the sphere and everything and, and I'll get into, you know, we'll get into phantasm two later, but, uh, so I don't, I don't want to go, go too far into it, but yeah, that, that was my introduction. Oh, very cool. So yeah. this, uh, was pretty frequent at, at just all these stores at, and it's pretty clear that it embraced the home video way because yeah it's like like the terminator i it's like it changed companies every other time i mean the it was an independent company that 
did the first one, then it go- switches to Universal, then they're not too keen on it, and even though they offered you a third one, it switches uh, owners once again. And so it's so wild how it just, the whole Syncology received a Blu-ray treatment. No. Remastered, and they were able to get the rights to release all free. <laughs> right. Uh, all five. My bad. But yeah, uh, I really, I will be honest, I, I, I had to encounter this years later. I already knew Angus Scrim because he just would make other convention appearances. He, I mean, for fuck's sake, he's the he's the narrator of the first Wishmaster. So, I mean, yeah, right. uh, he just had a voice and was like, okay, I, I know that voice. I just, I, I know the face. He's the, you know, he's the tall man, but I haven't really seen Phantasm. I, I had my only intro to it was that Sci Fi Channel would keep promoting, re re airing the fourth one quite a lot. Cause, yeah, makes sense. That one's kind of the least violent. <laughs> yeah. And, and the sci fi of them all, well, with the exception of R5, uh, but uh, it, it has like a real, like, Part four has like the real like more. It goes into the more sci-fi aspects. Yeah, of, if of you certain... didn't know it, you strongly suspect that you're watching a Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, or X Files episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's kind of the appeal of the Tall Man. He is kind of like Cancer Man in a way, where you just know that whatever he is, you just look forward to what tormented, demented thing he's going to say to someone. But that's just the other thing. Even though. He has all this morbid and torture and anguish and other pain that he's going to unleash upon anyone. He doesn't even go that far. (laughs) He's just kind of, this is always there just looking at you and you know, whatever it is, you know, it can't be good. And I think it's just dead. It's just, it's subtle one minute, then it's in your face the next. A lot of these films. Uh, uh, To break it down, it is kind of a, a cult kind of franchise. I mean, Obviously it is, but I mean, it's also kind of just, for lack of a better word, just a similar kind of cold appeal, kind of like uh, Trancers, Warlock, maybe even Cube. And uh, I can see, given how the third one uh, first landed in Japan, uh, I I have no doubt that this is probably inspired by and maybe even inspired a bunch of Japanese uh, horror anime or games. Um, maybe uh, the first, not to cut you off, the first one was actually a huge hit in Japan where mm-hmm. Michael Baldwin, the star, became like kind of like a small kind of like pop figure over there. Really? He said, <laughs> yeah, he said he, many times that he said that he used to get a lot of fan mail from kids in Japan that uh, they, they just loved it over there. Yeah. Damn. I mean, I get, I could see the appeal. I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of Japanese horror and, and I could definitely see the appeal. Because it's, you know, the first Phantasm, it's like, a, the, the whole series is like, it's like a horror sci-fi fantasy hybrid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Definitely so. So, as an overview, throughout the entirety of the series, the actors all play characters resembling their actual names. Reggie Bannister plays Reg. <laughs> yeah. And Michael Baldwin plays Mike. <laughs> uh, uh, that features flying death spears. Uh, deliberate confusing uh, uh, may or may not be dreaming skip around segments and lowbrow humor somewhat psychological but never not intense you can't spell alternative B-movie classics without Phantasm so 
I'm going to go with the first one. It's just a very low key. It follows the residents of a small town under siege by a mysterious uh, presence. That presence being the town's mortician, also known as the tall man. And he's reanimating the dead into misshapen zombies. But it's hardly just a straight up zombie movie. It's more of a alien invasion movie, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Basically, basically, that's exactly what it is. It's 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 a sci-fi movie masked as a horror movie. Because mm-hmm. like, if you explain like the schematics of it all, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it is pure sci-fi. He just you know just adding the you know the mortician in the funeral home, all that stuff. Just is the cover of it to mask it as a horror movie. But it's really more sci-fi than anything else. Yeah, and didn't Don. Don Coscarelli, didn't he base all this off a dream? Yeah. I want to um, doubt it. Um, uh, a dream, and uh, also uh, he he kind of to, to, to write it, he kind of locked himself in a cabin for a couple weeks to write it, and like, it, it, he basically got cabin fever while he was up there, <laughs> and uh, if, if you watch the movie, it shows, you know, because right. all the weird shit that ended up in the movie you know, he said literally the the scene with the severed finger happened because he just poked his hole through a styrofoam, uh, his finger through a styrofoam cup, and that's how the the scene with the severed finger came out to be. He was just losing his fucking mind up there. Cheers. <laughs> yeah. So yes, Don Cuscarelli, the mind behind Beastmaster, Survival Quest, Bubba Hotep, uh, and uh, Masters of Horror episode. So yeah, he's. Definitely a cult icon. I've never seen him at any convention, but I have no doubt he's always a sold-out presence there. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very well the you know respected figure and you know in the community. Also, you know, being that uh, I mean the, the guy is just likable. You know, even though I I, I, I kind of have my reservations about him, like how he really feels about the series, because sometimes he gives me like that air that uh, he just wants to be done with phantasm like like 40 years later i'm still making this shit you know what i'm saying <laughs> like uh, uh, you no know, after he did the first phantasm and it was success they wanted him to do a sequel and he was like nah i'm done with that i'm gonna work i got this better idea i got the i call it Beastmaster, and that's gonna be a big success and then you know Beastmaster got fucking taken away from him and then he couldn't get a job to save his life he got fired from gujo he got fired from oh wow uh, he also got fired from uh, Silver Bullet. Yeah. Uh, he was like that. <laughs> he, he made so he he shot Survival Quest in '86 and it sat on the shelf until it was uh, basically given a quiet release in '89. And the one thing that 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 got that release was because he had to come back to make Phantasm Two in '88. Yeah. Did Survival Quest get any extra attention because it also you know had two stars of Aliens, Mark Ralston and Lance Henriksen? I mean, it should have, you know, but it it just quietly got thrown away. Like, you know, Damn. the the fact that it got released was because uh, of the release of Phantasm Two. So, like, I mean, but I mean, Coscarelli seems like a nice enough guy, but yeah. I just feel, you know, he yeah. he he not that revered to his own series as he leads on to believe. Uh, and I mean, it is kind of one of those words, like only I can do this because I am the creator, but at the same time, you know, I don't really, 
I really want the story to end here, but everyone else wants more. So I, I do think it is kind of another just uh, dilemma where you have to make yourself happy as well as the people who hire you and the audience happy. So it is, you know, three different people, are crowds to please that that can't be easy. <laughs> no. And of course, you want to ma have it make money, but at the same time, you don't want it keep making these. So, right. Uh, what's the general overview on this? I, I can definitely see how this one is going for just kind of just more straight horror and yeah. just kind of just freaky without being a gore fest so much. Nothing against the gore fest. It's just it's kind of just more just kind of just keep upping the tension and uh. It takes a minute to get used to uh, Mike because he looks kind of more like a girl here and just kind of yeah. more subtle. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's definitely got that 70s frayed hair. You know. <laughs> it's, it's so pretty. <laughs> he got fired from the garage rock band circuit. Um, yeah, and uh, older brother Jody, who doesn't really do much until arguably part five, uh, is pretty much the badass here. He's pumping a shotgun and <laughs> teaming up with Reggie. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it, it, and before you know it, it's done. And you're like, yeah. I kind of want more. Did they yeah. run out of money or is it that's all that that they, they knew they had to get your attention and they couldn't afford to let it drag out, you know? They didn't have... Uh, Don kind of has kind of a John Carpenter feel where he has to amp up the weirdness and then, you know, do anything you can to make you not take your eyes off the screen. So. That's funny that you say that because the original cut of the movie was actually three hours. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. yeah, like he like it, the 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 first one actually took like three years to make. They started shooting it in '76. That makes and, sense because this was all their yeah. first time. They'd all done like some of the cast had done just guest spots, but this was still their make it right. or break it way to get the foot in the door. And I'll, I'll go ahead and just compliment all these. Uh, well, no, actually, I'll leave that for later. I'll, I'll focus on Reggie. He's fucking awesome. He is the Bruce Willis of this franchise. He is yeah. just... I would, I would say more the Bruce Campbell. Like, he definitely comes <laughs> yeah. that... That's ass. kind of it, too. He has Bruce Campbell lines, but he also just kind of has kind of a... Bruce, just kind of subtle nature, just always just like, oh, brother, what the fuck now? Just, I'm getting too old for this. And he, I, he definitely has the best lines. I mean, he does. Making fun of how he's the ice cream man. He's only an ice cream man. And how he's continually trying to get laid, sometimes successfully, some other times, like, oh, brother. You're right Much now. to his detriment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. He's very, yeah, self detrimental. And yet, just, he's kind of the viewer's extra eye in. And, yeah. Especially more so because out of all the guys who are confused, he is the most confused to where he's like, I should stop thinking about this too hard. It's not going to make sense. And yeah. he's just kind of, what are you like any, the other sequels or not? He's just always just reminding you, yeah, this isn't going to make sense. And I'm just trying to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of telling, you know, for him as a character too, and probably as an actor as well. But, you know, when, when Universal, uh, took the reins on the sequel um they told coscarelli he could only have one actor return right. and mm. he, reggie was the one that he chose right but they made him audition both of them 
because he wanted both of them. They made him audition both of them, and it was like, all right, you can have one, but you can't have both. And he right. he chose red. A decision that Michael Baldwin is still kind of bitter about. Oh, I yeah. can't blame him. To, uh, to, the, to the point where he refuses to discuss Phantasm Two. I uh, on the fan. I remember vividly on the Phantasm Three uh, um, commentary. He he refers to it as the film that shan't be named. <laughs> still bitter. Well, yeah. Yeah. To be fair, he he wasn't bad in the first one. Third one, I mean, I'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, he kind of is slowly adjusting, kind of just being told what to do. And by part four, he's really comfortable. He's really just uh, still in every scene he can. Mm-hmm. And then part five, you don't even expect him to return. Next thing you know, here he is with a mask. So he's like, yeah, okay, here he well, is. There's there's a reason for for like what you what you just said about him in three and five. There there there, there was a, there are reasons for that, uh, but we'll get to them when we discuss okay. three. And five. Yeah. But, so uh, I mean. It, for a first time out movie, it really does a hell of a lot. I mean, because there's other ones where it's, I mean, this is kind of just getting the presence of it. And at first you think, oh, so where it's going to be a typical slasher. And the next thing you know, it's, oh, it's ghost movies. It's going to be like The Exorcist. No, no, that's going to be something else. So it just, it takes all these tones and you're kind of comfortable with it because it's just always changing. You just, you just get used to it. Just all over the place. And it's, this is kind of my general view on the whole thing. It's, Organized, unorganized, if that makes right. sense. <laughs> uh, Roger Avery put it best when uh, he was on the comment <laughs> for Day of the Dead and uh, were like, you know, how they had the zombies and the, and the salt mines down below. And he calls it uh, Coscarellian in his twisted dementia of perfect sense. <laughs> Especially <laughs> since he was such a big fan and was supposed yeah. to write part four and never made it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, it's funny you just said that. I just actually saw one of his newest movies today. I forget the name of it already. It's not that it's bad. It's just not the most notable. But it's basically a spinoff of Killing Zoe. And mm. you guys will probably like it just because uh, the Master Chef himself, Mark Dacascos, has a funny barfly cameo. Nice. <laughs> well, anyway, I got to say, when uh, probably within the last two months, uh, Candy, my wife, had never seen this. Um, she had never seen any of the Phantasm movies. <laughs> and so I sat her down and put it in. And it, the the Blu-ray was a gift to me for my daughter for my birthday. Mm. So we, we put it in. And, you know, she didn't like it. <laughs> and, and, and I get it. You know, I understand. Movie's not for everybody. The fact that I think that it's a horror sci-fi hybrid... She doesn't get into sci-fi at all. I was Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was about to ask: Was it the sci-fi elements that turned her off? I, well, I think it was, but I think you know, like like we talked about with the dream sequences, and you know, you're bouncing around, and you know, all this stuff. But you know, I'll be the first to admit, and and she had asked me if I was going to bring this up. I I honestly didn't really get into it either, and. That kind of shocked me, and it was one of those things where it was like, I loved this movie as a kid, but going back and watching it, you know, years and years later, um, it just—I don't know—it it just didn't—it didn't do it for me. The second viewing, I—that's actually oh. a good point. I, I think this is definitely one that if you're gonna go to see it, 
uh, see it at an anniversary screening with a bunch of people who've seen it countless times, so you kind of get the general flow, the aura in the room. Right. Or uh, just risk it, that. watch it, you know, online or at a used Blu-ray DVD cell, and just maybe even put the commentary on. So you just because some movies are going to take multiple viewings, unfortunately, just because they you don't know what to look for. Right. And so you're when you feel left out, like, I really don't know what I should be looking for or what I don't get. So now I feel like an even bigger stranger because <laughs> not trying to be the cool kid, but I am trying to understand why why it's a cult movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, uh, I did um, I did the, the big screening like that uh, when uh, they did the remastered version uh, uh, supervised by J.J. Uh, Abrams. Mm hmm. And they they had a the the screening of that with a a live Q and A with uh, Coscarelli and the the cast afterwards on live stream on the screen and shit. And it was basically like that, you know, a bunch of us fans in the room, you know, and yeah. you know, just basically just having you know great time and shit because we all you know in love with the movie. But I will admit though, it it did there are a lot of moments in the movie where it just feels amateur. You know, where they were amateur filmmakers. But, uh, you know, a lot of stuff doesn't age well, like particularly Bill, Bill Thornberry's performance. The, God bless him, but uh, he, he, he's just really bad at points. The, like the scene where the Mike gets attacked by the, the, the dwarves in the garage and the car falls on him. And then he sees defeat, so he hits it with the hammer. And Bill Thornberry's just like, ah! <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I will admit that, and I'm because you know he was like the only one who hadn't guest starred on any you know professional Screen Actors Guild worthy you know shows. So yeah, it, he's just you know friends of the production and right. He was just he was more the songwriter, singer songwriter than anything else. He wasn't even the first choice. I believe. Yeah, he it was not, uh, Gregory not a Harrison. Guitar. <laughs> I, uh, Gregory Harrison, I think, was the uh, original choice for. Jody and uh, hmm. he kind of, so they've just doing Bill and you know I'm saying like yeah you get to you know promote your your singer songwriter stuff you know but uh, he's obviously not an actor I mean he there's moments where he tries his best like uh, yeah the rest of the time had it been anyone else they would have kind of struggled but he kind of just you can kind of tell he's the kind of guy you just give cue cards and just confidence and that's all you can instill just because you want to work with him, but he's very limited. I, I, I'm i not bothered by him, but I totally see what you're saying. Because throughout the rest of the series, he's just kind of just there in the background, and the effects are kind of complimenting him, along with the different remixes of the theme. And, mm-hmm. and he is just kind of just... He's always just... They always leave him to just do the exposition. And you can kind of forgive his emotionless nature, or not really sticking out because yeah, he's always like possessed or a vision, you know, <laughs> in the other sequels. And yeah, in this one, he's just kind of just confused, kind of not exactly hillbilly, but just kind of just whoop to do, you know, just playing yeah. music, but not really, you know, you don't even really feel like he's the main star because it just keeps coming back to, um, you know, Mike. <laughs> right following him around and it does have many angles that you typically saw in a lot of low budget or less professional productions so yeah uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that it this was everyone's first time out and they're just like 
I do think it's a good cinematographer because there are a few shots where it's like, I don't know how they did that. You know, just that uh, tracking around, especially mm -hmm. considering what little they had to work with. So, but yeah, there are other ones where it's like, uh, yeah, professional production wouldn't have gone there. And I guess that's why it also kind of appealed to a lot of people. They just expected it to be kind of too Hollywood and it was anything but very Hollywood. It was just very unusual and weird and... <laughs> Well, it wasn't the, going back to what you're saying. It's not. It wasn't everybody's first time out because uh, um, Reggie and and Michael Baldwin and Don had worked previously on the the, the teen flick uh, Kenny and Company. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Like, that that's where they met, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, saw, I only saw a bunch of TV credits and guest spots for him. So yeah. yeah. Don Don had did Jim's Jim's the world Jim the world's greatest. With a uh, Gregory Harrison, uh, and then he did Kenny and Company, which was his first hit, and uh, that's that's where he got the idea to do Phantasm because they had a, an extended sequence in the haunted house and had a big scare in it and scared the crowd, and he was like, "I should do a horror movie next." <laughs> that's literally where the genesis for for Phantasm came because he wanted to do a horror movie. Mm -hmm. oh, Kenny and Company. Um, perfect. Are there any stories on how they casted Angus Scrim? Because, I mean, I previously had only known him from being overused in uh, Charles Band and Jim Wynorski productions. So, I mean. No. No, I like, uh, the, the funny thing, he's he's primarily known as the guy who writes uh, linear notes for music albums. Uh, yeah, he won a Grammy, so. <laughs> yeah, he did, yeah, he, he did win a Grammy for that under under his uh, under his real name. Uh, even better. Lawrence Rory Guy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so that makes sense, because I did see him credited a few different times, especially on Exploitation and Black Exploitation as Rory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't. Rory, the, uh, Angus Grimm was just as... And it's just, I just want to know what I, I forgot the story, but it's like, what an what a excellent name to choose as your horror persona. Right. Scrim, you know, yes, and like the burger. No, uh, and and unfortunately, I I know he did a lot of cons, and I never got the chance to meet him. But I hear he was like just a super gracious guy. Uh, I mean, but I mean, sweet. he has to be a sweetheart given the amount of independent ones. One of his last credits was uh, the movie Disciples with another horror icon, Tony Todd. So, oh yeah, yeah, and. Yeah, that that's just cool though because, so here we go. the The Jody actor, uh, uh, you know, Bill is a singer, and then Angus is also a songwriter. So then you just you have all these people who've been in other areas of expertise, and they just feel confident enough. Like they did, did they feel like this was their make it or break it, or was it? Let's just see what happens. We're just having a little fun. I think I think it was more along the lines of the latter. It was the you know, let's just try let you know that let's make a movie kind of thing. Like they shot it over three years uh, on weekends, and uh, you know let's just let let's let's try our luck with a horror movie. Like hopefully you know it's a big hit, and you know we get to make some money out of it. You know that kind of thing. Uh, I don't think that uh, they were like you know they just like you know let's see what happens you know but hopefully we'll get the the big hit out of it that you know we all 
You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, horror movies are, you know, big money makers, especially at that time. I know my father said when uh, he, he's not a big fan of horror movies either. He thinks they're like all he thinks they're all oh. comedies. Oh. He, he, <laughs> and, and so that uh, this one particularly scared him back in the day. He was like it was like the ultimate horror movie when it came out. Phantasm. He said he even saw it twice because, uh, you know, he, he liked it a lot. And that's saying a lot coming from the old man, you know what I'm saying? Who, who yeah. thinks everything's a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, I'll admit, I'm not the most scared by horror movies, but I just love the, just, if it's not the gory mayhem, I just love the, just the supernatural elements and just the whole, mm-hmm. how they get so psychological at times. And yeah. this, I can see why, if you were stoned out, this would blow your fucking mind. Oh, yeah. But yet it's not... Which he probably was, Pop. <laughs> he probably was, just to get through all the long work days. He's like, oh, shit, I didn't know, you know, every day was going to be 20 hours <laughs> on set. Um, and don't get me wrong, it is hard. I mean, Daniel Ryan has been on here and talked about being doing extra work on SVU. I've done extra work, and it, it you, you totally see all the stuff that they tell you about TV versus film come absolutely to life, where producers dismiss the guest director of the episode and then have other crew members shit shoot pickup shots how the makeup people are very stuck up and uh how with that before you know it you you can be on set for hours on end and then just be dismissed without warning (laughs) and uh, people go out for smoke breaks and if one person makes a noise uh, everybody's fucking pissed because now they got to reshoot everything so and this one i'm sure you know they could get away with a lot of stuff back then since the 70s and different types of restrictions and monitoring. Uh, but I, I've never heard anything bad about behind the scenes. And if there was, I, I'm sure they covered it up pretty well. They're just like, yeah, uh, won't make that mistake again. Uh, but it seems like there is a lot of legit love going into this as opposed to, we don't know what we're making. We're just seeing what sticks. Right. Now you could say that about the sequels. I totally understand. But like this one, I, uh, you know, they they're just trying something out and you know what what you get is what you get i i I guess for lack of a better takedown uh uh so i mean we we can save the rankings of for for the very end um do do you feel like this ends it on a good note to where you're like i want to see more or was it just kind of just no surprise that yeah of course they're gonna make a sequel you know it was weird enough it was culty enough Considering the the sequel didn't come for ten almost ten years, yeah. Um, I you know I don't I mean I think I was too young to even you know consider <laughs> right yeah, to even consider that there there may be a sequel, and you know in some ways I'm glad there was in other ways I wish they would have not not made yeah. any sequel. <laughs> well, whatever works. No, no, that's fine. I mean because. I share that sentiment exactly. <laughs> I guess it you, you, you got some of them, but other than you just wish they'd left it the fuck alone. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's how I kind of am with Pirates of the Caribbean. I know a lot of people love Johnny Depp and Jack Sparrow, but I'm just like, the first one was just perfect. It, it, and when I look at it even closer now, it's just, I didn't need to see five more years. It just was perfection. And yeah. it kind of messed with it. So, And, and, and I think that, that that's kind of a trend with you know a lot of films you know, especially in the eighties and, and, and I do see it a lot now, but you know, they make one movie and it's such a great movie that they want to continue that, 
you know, basically it's like a cash grab. Let's just keep making more of these until people don't want to pay money to see them anymore. Right. And it's yeah. like, and and it takes away from the greatness of that first film. Mm-hmm. There's that, and then there's everyone always wants to call out the filmmakers and even the cast members for making comments that are later contradicted. And it's like, you know, they're just doing their job, which is to promote. Don't be hard on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless, unless they clearly are just pulling it out of their ass as they go along. And in many ways, I think that's kind of the pro and a con of the series. There is a lot of stuff pulling out of asses, but some of well, it's kind of interesting shit. And some of it's just kind of like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the perfect description of the series. And so <laughs> I, I absolutely failed getting into the first one. I didn't hate it, but I was just like, I don't know what the fuck this is about. And um, I, I remember, I would, I'm going like, to see odd man out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I was an outcast. I'm like, I don't get it. I'm not sure I'll ever get it. I'm afraid to even retry it because I'm afraid I'm going to piss someone off. So I'm just, uh, I, I've tried this in college. I'm going to leave it here. Fortunately, podcasts are a wonderful thing. It's interesting what you can do when you can revisit stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely like this one. Uh, I, I'm like you guys kind of reluctant to just recommend this because I just know everyone's mileage is totally going to vary on these kinds of movies because they're just, they're beyond description for lack of a better word. And so that's why I kind of compared it to all these other stuff like X-Files and Trancers and Cube because it's, it is a very complex and yet bizarre and yet beyond description kind of <laughs> series. Well, I'm going to have to run that Cube comparison by uh, Candy because she loves Cube and yeah. she probably hated this movie. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I, I, well, and, I, I'm not trying to bash Cube even. I, I just think it's just kind of, I mean, because I, a lot I, of the... I, I, I get what you're saying. It's more like, it's more niche than anything else. Right. It, yeah. It's an unusual gimmick. I mean, I could compare it to Hellraiser, but I don't want Clyde Barker's fan base raining hell upon me. So, but I get that kind of general sense where its gimmick is with a mysterious man who's got unusual gadgets and a death game, so to speak, you know, and... You know, he doesn't have a box, so so to speak, but he does kind of have just some kind of unusual cryptic mythology. Yes, he has a ball. He has a few balls. Well, yeah, that's right. Oh, he's, he's got, got balls to throw all those spirits around. Yes, and he's got a bunch of little Jawas running around. Oh yeah, <laughs> that and this is what kind of tracks us back to Reggie. He seems to just hate dwarfs or just. <laughs> have outdated bigoted stuff that's just for a joke it doesn't bother me for once because i mean this is a fucking silly at times and yet moody and yet it you already know just from the first frame that this is not going to be a politically correct film so it doesn't really bother me but at the same time it oh, yeah, it ages it's, way better than other movies sequel, which in the sequel he throws out the m word oh i totally forgot but yeah, <laughs> yeah he But I, 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 I still would think this would age way better than other movies, which just will throw out, yeah, racial slurs or just have unusual, just tasteless jokes where you're like, someone thought that was funny back in the day. Holy fuck! <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, this would you put this in the same category, maybe as Evil Dead? It's an acquired taste. Yeah. Um. Evil I mean, Dead, 
bit more universal. Well, that, I mean, and that's kind of why I did the cube comparison, because this was a partially owned by Lionsgate and just, you just always see spooky ads for it and be like, that's so, that looks mind blowing and so bizarre. I got to check it out. Um, right. Uh, Transfers comparison just comes in in that you got just very unusual heroes teaming up to take just the very just mutated kind of evil in a way. <laughs> if, if, I, if I was going to compare this to another movie, it'd be something fucked up like Videodrome. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Just something that's like, you know, I mean, it's very niche. It's It's just fucking like off the wall, like out there. Um, because I, you know, like this was different than in any other horror movie I'd seen. Oh, okay. I, I, I get that conversion now. Cause, uh, yeah. Video drum. I just kind of think of all the, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. But, yeah. I, 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 I especially see the video drum comparison when you go into phantasm too. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fucked up shit in uh phantasm too. <laughs> I, for whatever reason, I kind of get more of a Paul Verhoeven kind of feel. Ah, if our, Paul Verhoeven took a Sam Raimi script and then did it, whatever he wanted to do, <laughs> that, that's the, that, that, that's a more apt comparison. Sam yeah. Raimi, Phantasm Two does definitely have a Sam Raimi feel to it, uh, especially in the cinematography. He's even he even uh, he even gets like an Easter egg in there, uh, in the scene where um, the, the 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 grave diggers are. Uh, uh, cremating the bodies and shit and they're crushing up the, the bones left over. One of the baggies that they're pouring the, the ashes into has Sam Raimi on it. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. I will have so, to check that out. I, I missed that. Um, so what do we think about uh, part two? Like, pick, all these sequels pick up instantly and just always li- leave open a cliffhanger. So hence the fan dividing and the studio questioning whether this is a marketable franchise. Uh, I like the when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, like, like, it's like they want the us way. to just light up every single forum on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> no one can have peace. So it's set eight years later. Mike's now a mental patient, having more blurring the line between reality and now. He's and just having nightmares, and he recalls that dreadful night, and, you know, he escapes and wants to... Get no, 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 no. He doesn't escape. He's released. Yeah. Uh, that's he's, right. He's released, but uh, he's escaping from the town. He's hiding out at a house with Mike, and uh, they're just trying to find out where they can locate the mortician because they know whatever happened, he has a connection to it. <laughs> right. So, what do we think of uh, the recast of James Lee Gross as Ma- Mike? Uh. Yeah. Hey. We respect opinions here. Uh, Not an argument no, for him. I, uh, I, I think James DeGroote is a fine actor, and I think he does well. But uh, I would have loved for them to have cont- uh, kept up with continuity and just recast a Mike Baldwin. But I wasn't the studio head. The studio head thought otherwise. So we got James DeGroote, and, you know, for that matter, he's fine. It was almost Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt auditioned yeah. for the Mike, and he almost got it. That's so yeah. weird. I have nothing against Brad Pitt, but I can't exactly see him in this. I don't know why. I it just... I mean, well... Uh, I'll, I'll, horror... I'll let you guys go first. Sorry. <laughs> you know, like, male horror leads in, uh, in, in, you know, in horror movies were a big kind of thing for, like, 
young male actors coming up. Like, oh, absolutely. You, know, you had to be like, a cowboy uh, or a detective or, yeah, it had to be a horror lead. Look at the, look at the, when you talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, how many, you know, up-and-coming actors auditioned for the role of Jesse before they gave it to, um, damn it, what's his name again? Uh, Mark Patton. Before they gave it to Mark Patton, the, mm. like, I think uh, uh, John Stamos auditioned for Jesse. Like, <laughs> Uncle Jesse. Right. Yeah, so it's like that, that was a big deal, like, you know, being, like, you know, the male lead in a horror movie, you know. Because, like, you know, how many actresses broke out after being the the final girl in a horror movie, so, you know. I mean, look at Johnny Depp and, you know, in the first time around Elm Street. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Oh, right. And that was... He wasn't and, even intended. He wasn't even there to audition. And the fact that he's remembered for that, and then he put all his heart and soul to Platoon, they cut all his scenes. For the yeah. most part. So, and then you look at other people. I, I think we were looking at uh, people who were supposed to be the lead in both films like Strange Day and Die Hard, and so, half those people in the picks were like, yeah, couldn't see it. It's not because they're good movies. It's just like, mm, they're just... Even if they had the look, they wouldn't have had the persona. And I, I think that's just it. Uh, Sean, I'll let you take it away. Uh, is this a overdone recast, or is it barely making the cutting the mustard, or is it just wrong sauce? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's bad. Phantasm 2 is my favorite of the franchise. I think it is for all of us. It's, just, it's that kind of... A lot, and, a lot of people will say that. And, and I, you know, I got to say, for me, it's, you know... Like I'm a gore hound, um, the makeup and special effects, and you got yeah. some th- big names in there. You got Robert yeah. Kurtzman, Greg mm-hmm. Nicotero, and a name that keeps popping up on you know House of Screams, uh, Everett Burrell from your uh, Hard Rock Zombies, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and a Romero intern. <laughs> right, right. Uh, he's been in everything. Also, Mark Mark Showstrom, whose show it was, he was. Yeah. Uh, the, the supervisor, the makeup supervisor on uh, From Beyond, which uh, another favorite of mine. There you go. Yeah, Stuart Gordon, we still miss you. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and that's kind of weird. It, it does kind of. This does kind of have, by that point, kind of a Wishmaster kind of feel, and I, I can definitely see how Kurtzman would have been in, inspired by that when he was working on, you know, Army of Darkness and all the other movies, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I mean, you just mentioned From Beyond. Uh, it is kind of like half of Brian Usna and Stuart Gordon's work where, you know, it's it's going to vary. Your mileage is going to vary on each entry, but you kind of still kind of like their intent, for lack of a better description. Right. I've always been a big fan of LaGrosse. He was just always one of those guys growing up. I didn't know his name, and I mistook him for a few other similar actors. Uh, I just got done, actually a month ago, uh, watching an indie he was in called Floundering, and I, I just, he was just kind of, to me, just always the leading man that never was. He should have had a bigger career, but I'm sure he doesn't mind. I mean, he got to be on Sleeper Cell and Point Break. What what better career could you ask for? So I think that's probably his, his two most famous things is... Maybe New York, but... Point and Point Break. <laughs> yeah, he had that, uh, like, that, like, that small role in uh, near near dark. He was the right. young little cowboy in the back that was scary. <laughs> yeah. He was also he also had a, a small role in uh, Enemy of the State with Will Smith. He was uh, right, and that's so weird. I was looking at his resume again. I'm like, oh, who did he play? I remember everyone else. I remember Gabriel Byrne, Jack Black, all the other 
supporting has been Barry Pepper, Jake Busey, obviously, but I, I don't remember who he played. Was he one of the Mercs? Or... Oh, he was, he was uh, Will Smith's buddy. Like the, oh, okay. Buddy. So... And the, the, they, they have the scene where um, they talk about uh, Will Smith's character's obsession with blending stuff, like uh, obsession with blenders. Like, you're oh. weird. Damn. Yeah. So that's before he even gets to the lingerie shop and then has... Uh, yes. Future, yeah. my name is real star okay i'm getting off topic but no that, that it's another movie where it's just a who's who of everything and the gross yeah. i really like him in this one i i get i i i'm not it's not fair for me to compare him i mean you could say it is fair but it's kind of unfair a michael baldwin didn't have as much experience the had a little more experience you know he'd already been in near dark so he's clearly I don't know who his acting teacher was, but he's clearly in this one. He's like, this is make it or break it. I got to be snarky. I got to be a badass. I got to amp it up and do what they're telling me to do. Uh, he also he also has like a, a great like, you know, he he adds like a toughness to the role. That's so people. wild. And so I think that's what breaks up the continuity. You're so used to <laughs> Mike. Yeah. Uh, in the previous one, just kind of being told what to do and running around saying, "Oh, what? What was going on? What's going on?" And here he is. <laughs> and here then, he is, like, "Let's kick their asses! I'm, I'm done with this." He basically becomes like the male Ripley, the like in Aliens, uh, very much. <laughs> you know that tough badass. You know he's got on like tight shirts. You know, you know showing off his muscles. <laughs> right. Oh, I wonder how many dates he got from this movie. But, um, yeah, (laughs) I would not be surprised. Uh, uh, I think he has good uh, chemistry with Reggie. He does. I think that's a bit. Because, I mean, actors at the end of the day, I I can't say from experience, maybe he made it up. Maybe he was doing the actor's Bible where you make up your backstory regardless of what the filmmakers and other cast members give you. And because either way, he definitely knows what he's saying and saying it as opposed to I'm just going to say my lines on time and, you know, mm. look for better work. Uh, I wonder if he ever gets asked about it. I'm no expert on that area, uh, but I'd say he's a reasonable lead role. And so when you told me Brad Pitt audition, I mean, that makes sense because, like mm. you say, as the thing to be, that was the hot topic. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brad was already doing plenty of other just cheesy high school slashers but most of those came out like a few years later when his star actually took off um yeah i just can't see him in this role for whatever reason i would have accepted him i just don't know if it would have been I, I think level. because i think it's just because james the gross um he you know he he plays such a well lead that it, it's hard to see anybody else in it he i mean just has like, more of a everyday kind of look and he changes his voice up and it's always a voice you never expect because you see the beard, you know, in later roles and you're like, uh, well, <laughs> you know, is he going to be a biker <laughs> or a narc? What's he being? And he just kind of has that just kind of just, you know, wise ass mentality, for lack of a better word. And I mean that in the best way. He's just like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, uh, so. How do we like the flow of this? Does this really amp up the game, or is it just kind of slowed down a little bit? Oh yeah, yeah, it it totally amps it up. Like, uh, like I mean, by the end finale, it is just a it's a gore fest, and it's 
Yeah. Lots of fights, and it's as if Jackie Chan was in a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're playing with chainsaws and they're letting out some kung fu moves. I'm like, hello. It doesn't matter where I don't know where that came from. That's that, cool. That, that chainsaw fight actually has uh, my favorite line in the movie and probably my favorite line throughout the series where Reggie pulls out his chainsaw and goes, come on, you mother. <laughs> yeah. Giant chainsaw, and he's aww. <laughs> Shame yeah. on me for not bringing it up as best chainsaw fights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that joint was great. It's like they were at Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Bill. <laughs> hey, want a tribute? Absolutely, but uh, I could see uh, definitely like uh, I the, the comparison a lot of people make when you know they're describing going from Phantasm one to two is how, like they say, it's basically going from alien to aliens. And that's probably right. the most correct description you could give. Evil this Dead is... 2 is a director's cut of Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. This, we this went from one, being low like, budget to bigger budget. <laughs> and, and it's Same more stream. Phantasm 2 is more streamlined, too, because I know um, another one of the stipulations that the, the, the heads of Universal had was it had to be linear. It was no playing around right. the dream leaps and all that. It had, like, you know, everything had to take place in reality. Like, none of that, you know, is this real? Is this a dream stuff? So um, that's where you get, like, you know, everything is real. So, like, you know, let's amp up the terror, you know what I'm saying? Since this is all taken up, you know, in reality. And, uh, yeah, like, that, I definitely could agree with that. It's the aliens of horror film, you know. The all <laughs> like he'd like you know I I guess that's why you kind of had to get James McGraw in there you know what I'm saying where he's like you know you basically casting an action lead you know so you had to get a guy that was kind of buff you know what I'm saying good looking you know in there to to be your like basically your 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 hero you know yeah fair enough and um well what can I say I'm actually a fan of Samantha Phillips I. Totally forgot she was in this movie. Yeah, Alchemy. <laughs> yeah, Alchemy, and uh, she's been in every other stupid HBO Skinamax movie. But uh, I actually, <laughs> she's great. I love Samantha Phillips. She's great. She doesn't think her acting's that great. That she's. I've talked to her on social media, and I'm. I'll have to respectfully disagree. She's way better than a lot of those other, you know, right. and house pets. <laughs> She's having fun. I don't think she's taking it seriously. She's obviously having fun. Like that, that whole sex scene with Reg, where you have such a, you know, she's just upset. <laughs> she's, she's absolutely, she's absolutely having a blast here. She, you know, she's oh, not well, careful how you say blast. Um, <laughs> it's sploosh. Um, so yeah. Uh, Future music video star and uh, sex bird uh, Samantha Phillips is in this, and uh, uh, yeah, she doesn't do bad. Uh, I don't really remember as much as all the other people because I, I just feel like Reggie just amps up the time to just kind of lead the brigade and have you know James's mic uh, just really just kind of stand his own ground. And I actually don't mind how they jump around other characters. Obviously, if you're a film snob and you insist that every movie 
be as linear as Universal imagined, beginning, middle, and end, you will hate these movies. They're, they're, uh, they, they start, and then they stop, and then they just keep going on, and then they stop again, and then they start. And they, they're, they're always just jumping around. So yeah. some of them are going to take multiple viewings, if you dare, just because there's just so much going on in every minute. So yeah definitely. Uh, and I, I might if i rewatch any of these i'm gonna definitely have to have the commentary on <laughs> yeah i was just thinking the same thing it's <laughs> just to make sense of it yeah. uh it's just i have a little more fun with this it's not as subtle as part one but it's also it's one of the better let's let's be bigger and better but not be overkill so to speak, it's not do too much. Um, it's also its own thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, a, you really it, don't have all the these problem, movies have the, flashbacks the from. Problem with sequel, yeah, the the problem with sequels around this time was uh, the their their whole thing was do the same but different, you know. Whereas basically the same movie but in a different setting. Like look at Ghostbusters two, you know what I'm saying? Which mm-hmm. is it's yeah. all the same. Beats as Ghostbusters, but it's just doing going about it in a different way. This Phantasm Two is just basically its own thing, you know. Like it's basically a continuation of the story, but like you know, it's bigger and badder, you know, kind of thing. Totally. Which, uh, I, I totally appreciate, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it. You do feel like a lot of the shots are pretty calculated, like. Someone told yeah. them what they could or couldn't film this time around, so they are planning out each one. They only have, I mean, it's for free millions, so yeah, they cannot fuck around with any special effects. <laughs> Most of it's going to that, especially to sell the movie, and you know that is the movie. Yeah, <laughs> you can and definitely I've, tell in this one versus the first one that they spent a lot more on special effects and they had much better people doing it. Yeah, totally. Right. But, you know, I mean, I, what what sells me on this movie and why I think it's my favorite is, A, the fact that it's more linear. Um, you know, it, there's more action. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think at this point, the acting in this film compared to the first one is much better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, like I had told, told Cameron earlier, um, this movie just had more balls. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, pun intended um and reggie's gun it's a four barrel shotgun he carries around some (laughs) knives but this one i wonder if this inspired any other you know video games you know did the doom guys watch this and say oh we got to make the bfg (laughs) right (laughs) my 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 uncle uh, who was in the military the camera you and my uncle manny he said hi uncle manny (laughs) he said that gun would be impossible to shoot in real life yeah (laughs) He oh, I kick, bet it would knock him on his ass. Fuck. Yeah, that guy will kick you back a couple of feet if you shot. <laughs> so, Much like a, it does look cool though. It is exactly, good. and yeah. I mean, this is one of those movies where I'm okay if someone acts kind of you know unrealistic or over the top because I mean, that is the tone. That's the mood. Also, it's just it's so over the top, nonstop from beginning to end, and I mean. I also got to hand it to LaGrosse for just when he's in the final fight, just saying suck on this. And he says it's so serious without you just cringing or saying, really? You know, that's kind of childish. <laughs> you have to remember, he kind of <laughs> is a man child. He's just flat out just saying, all right, I'm going to shove some fucking dirt in your face, you 
Big fat Look, fuck. <laughs> if, if you notice though, if you notice though, like I always notice this every season too, as like you know the the camera pulls into he 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 like ever so slightly looks at the camera like as it gets closer to his face. I guess worried that uh, if the camera. Was gonna... <laughs> he probably. So, no, watch that scene. Like if you if the watch that scene. No, I, look, I, I think I know. Yeah. His eyes shift for a second and then shift back to like Angus Grimm in the background I before he goes. That. Suck on you. I, 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 I didn't know if he was just going around nervous or if that was kind of a blooper that was in there. <laughs> that was uh, that, he was probably like this. This motherfucker's about to hit me, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was like his fifth or sixth movie he did, so yeah, I'm sure he's still getting used to it. And it does look like there's a lot of crane shots as well as just. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, if there aren't dollies, then they're at least using just other alternatives. And uh, I can't really say that there's any rack focus shots, but they're definitely using similar equipment and type of shots. It's weird. They're definitely using a lot of uh, like uh, POV, like the force from Evil Dead shots. Like uh, I think that's what gets us all into these easier. Yeah. Well, like we're witnessing the terror and the outrageousness and the shit hitting the fan so we're interested we're invited to just watch it hit the fan it's i love i I love that shot with the where the ball is the i think that the golden sphere by this point is chasing uh uh mike and uh liz and it keeps it's it's going through the doors every time he's shutting him like that's my favorite shot in the movie yeah i love that scene yeah yeah uh, absolutely. Uh, this is one of those rare blockbusters. I mean, you see stuff like that now and again. I, the most I can think of is maybe Sicario, maybe some other whatever the latest Tom Cruise or Denzel Washington franchise is nowadays. But, it, you know, this is a pretty rare movie to just have the fun, but be very, very dark and serious. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it used to be you, you still had to have plenty of laughs in between the dramatic stuff because, oh, you're gonna depress them. They're gonna walk out. <laughs> well, Re- Reggie had that in spades with the laughs. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, he saves them up here. <laughs> yeah, and I think that I think that's where where you make the comparison. Of, you know, with this and Evil Dead, is it's it's similar in the vein that you know the first Evil Dead was more of a serious movie, and you know Evil Dead Two was more kind of tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I see with these, like, you know, it's still a, a serious movie, but it, I mean, it really is. It's almost, you know, very similar to the first one, but just more comedic. Yeah. And it is wild how we keep comparing this to Evil Dead, because, I mean, this is the same year as Evil Dead 2, and that those both those movies, like you say, have the same technique, where it's like, we got to be a little, uh, a little more layered and... Uh, again, we, we we got lucky the first time. Now we we, we can't spend up our luck. We gotta. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if it if it's more so to appeal to a wider audience. I think it is, and it's yeah. the rare moment where they're still letting them kind of do what they want as long as they finish on time. Uh, I don't know right. how Don was with the producers, but I take it you know if they let, allowed him to do the first four movies, clearly. He had something, some good mojo going to where they weren't going to fire well, him. Whatever mojo he had went away after this movie. 
<laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> no, but no, no, that's fine. Because I mean, it, he does feel like this is the last one, and then, uh, I mean, even near the end, I mean, I'm not freaked out by the tall man, but I still uh, want to know what he'll do, and I do think he's a cool villain. I. I'm actually cool with him not always getting many scenes because he is just kind of that just looming danger, kind yeah. of like Cancer Man on X-Files, where I just like, okay, he's in the background, yeah. but he doesn't have to be like all these other guys like the Candyman or, you know, Pinhead, where he must be, or Freddy, where he must be in every single, every other scene, terrorizing yeah. in a sense. Uh, you know, he's not, nothing against Jason, but he's also not like Jason. He's not where he's... You're looking forward to seeing who he'll off next, but the, and uh, you know, typically when there's yellow makeup or anything, it looks pretty bad or just for whatever reason just makes you take it less serious. Here, I, I take it serious, and at the same time, it's just like it adds to the over-the-top tone. And I mean, oh, you talk, you talk about the yellow mustard blood. Yeah, yeah, all the yellow, yeah. oops, the cotton, all that and, yellow and mustard. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, I love mustard, but uh, I would have never known. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'd hate to even know uh, how many containers. Well, actually, how many containers of mustard did they use for the makeup? <laughs> especially, especially on uh, Tall Man's death scene, yeah. <laughs> which is which is probably my favorite part in the movie is uh, Tall Man's death scene. Is uh, that meltdown? Yeah, I, I I can't tell you how many times, like you know, being a, a gore fan like Sean is. I can't tell you how many times I rewound that fucking scene with Tall Man's dying and he's melting. The I think also because a lot of it has to do with the score, like you know, the the Phantasm scores are like my all time favorite horror movie scores, mm -hmm. and you know, with the score adding on to that, you know, so as can you know, as Candyman, fuck, the Tall Man is just melting. No, that's down. a good comparison. It does kind of have that aura of a Philip Glass kind of score where he's like yeah. and uh, people have noted it sounds like The Exorcist I definitely can see that but it's kind of I don't know it's not trying to be as chilling but it is kind of be very atmospheric and constantly moody yeah, yeah. totally yeah that's um, definitely something I meant to mention in the for when we talked about the first one was the, the yeah. phantasm theme um I don't. I'm not. I don't know so much about the whole the the score of the whole movie, but just the the theme has that that has stuck with me my entire life, and yeah. and I waited with mausoleums, you know, or anytime I go to a cemetery, <laughs> I hear that playing in my head. Oh no, <laughs> it is kind of one of those you you wouldn't be surprised to just kind of hear it referenced in another theme or another composer because it is just kind of that. Phantasm wasn't so underground that no one knew about it, but it was just kind of one of those word of mouth kind of movies. So it is, yeah, oh. I, I definitely can see someone like, uh, not a Hans Zimmer per se, but maybe a more underused guy, uh, Brad, maybe Brad Fidel and his Terminator scores or someone else is kind of playing around with that. But I do think it is, like you say, just unique and to the point and, Maybe playful, for lack of a better word. Just, yeah. Because it's always mm -hmm. changing, and sometimes it's repeating, but then it's just slightly faster or slightly more laid back. 
and uh, the right kind of repetition without you just making you remember, oh, yeah, of course, this is a 70s or 80s movie. <laughs> right. And there isn't any synthesizer that I can think of, but uh, it is kind of... I, I'm sure someone has remixed it. Some electronic industrial rock person probably <laughs> sampled it. Uh, it was the disco version of the the Phantasm theme. Yeah. The, oh, is there? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all, if if you get the the special edition Phantasm DVD that was released by MGM, they have uh, as like a hidden Easter egg special feature on the disc. You can find the uh, the disco version of the Phantasm theme, and it goes <laughs> off for like seven, eight minutes. Oh man, <laughs> sounds like some disco inferno shit. I <laughs> <laughs> <Make> can <it> repeat. <laughs> I know. I totally did. I was in there doing my fucking best uh, John Travolta impression. I listened to that shit as a kid. <laughs> yeah, get down. Yeah. Man, Saturday <laughs> night phantasm fever. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to upload that onto your OnlyFans so I can. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> now I will I will say uh, and I know I've mentioned it before uh, the electronic producer figure um, he he does a lot of horror uh, horror uh, songs and remixes and stuff and he's he's done at least one or two phantasms that I nice. know of. That's cool. Nice, nice, very sweet. So. Yeah, once again, more mayhem, more typical just confronting the villain. Less confusing narrative than the others, but lo and behold, it gets confusing again because the tall man's not dead after previously getting melted. And cliffhanger begins again, and it's a repeat of the last one because, oh, it ended almost exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's one thing that uh, Coscarelli just, like... Do how many of these are you going to end like this? Knock the fuck off, right? Yeah. And part three. All right. Well, I gotta go. You guys have fun. <laughs> oh. No, it's fine. I, we we like diversity here. Just <laughs> yeah. So once again, this is now a mind game. No, literally a mind game. Good luck telling half the time what's real and what's not because this is where it oh and also apparently we're a fucking comedy uh, we're an unfunny fucking comedy that sucks ass <laughs> oh. <laughs> well like uh, let, let, me, let, let me let me let me get right off the bat um <laughs> like in preparation for the episode I only watched three or five I didn't need to see one two or four because I know them like the back of my hand um so i i really didn't have to watch three because really i didn't fucking want to but uh also because like i wanted to you know refresh my memory and like yeah my memory is correct it's still a piece of shit yeah. um five, five five i definitely had to rewatch because i only seen five once but uh i i like my rewatch of three i i didn't even make it the whole way through i could not finish it this is such a piece of shit yeah. <laughs> right. like three is so bad like and it's just oh god uh you know all right that's just start for starters we can go into it <laughs> okay so a michael baldwin is back as mike and uh barely 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 but he gets there eventually and uh i don't think he's 100 percent, but i don't think he's bad but 
you can tell he's still if he's still bitter then he's definitely got he a little was, bitter he was, he was. All right. he said he said it um and uh they did like a kind of retrospective on the series um when uh they did uh the in in uh the UK they released like a silver sphere collection of the first four because the part five hadn't been released yet and I had ordered it and they had like a you know a big uh, retrospective on one through four and he admits that uh he he was still kind of bitter when he did three and that uh it was cool to see everyone again but he didn't give a shit he said it was just another role I didn't care hmm well I don't so, get the bored expression, but I do get him just kind of just being very subdued. He's not. Yeah. I don't know if he'd been away too much, or a little uncomfortable, but yeah, he's here, and uh, it it does take you a little bit readjusting. It's like okay, he doesn't look like the gross anymore. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's Mike. Oh yeah, Mike. They're only they're, it's clearly Mike because they're calling him Mike. All right. Um, right. I also think is because you know, like you know, everyone loves Phantasm Two and. You know, Mike was turned to such an awesome character, and then he they bring him back for part three, and then his character he he's back for like, I mean, you could say the first fifteen minutes, but he's like out of out of those fifteen minutes, he's in like five of them, and then at the fifteen minute mark, he disappears for like another forty minutes until he comes back for like the last thirty minutes, and then it's like. Why, why did why even bring him back at all? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you did right. nothing with this motherfucker. <laughs> well, that's just it. He's trapped by the tall man. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, did, did did really, like, you know, did did it really need to be that? Like, you couldn't, like, you, I mean, that's Coscarelli's fucking problem. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he tries to figure out ways to get out of the, the hole he put himself in by the way he ended the last one. And this one, he just kind of like fucking like Jesus Christ, dude! Like all that shit we went through to save Liz for the fucking uh, dwarf to eat her face off and shit in like the first two minutes of part three. Yeah, you know, I for me the makeup doesn't really bother me. It seems like it's I don't like it as much as part two, but I feel like it's trying to have a lot of the same, just more of the just back and forth, and then it's just amping up, you know, trying to. It could easily, yes, be part of any other action horror franchise at the time, but this one is pretty much just... I feel like the new characters that they add aren't intrusive. I really took a fancy to Rocky, played by Gloria Lynn Henry, Mm -hmm. who is the cousin of the guitarist for Public Enemy, fun fact. Really? I I didn't know that. I did not know that. Uh, Well, and uh, Reggie takes a fancy to her, and next thing you know, he's fucking her. And ends up making a butt sex joke in the same scene. In a very unnecessary scene. It's not necessary, but hey, you know, this is a guy's movie. It's very unnecessary. Like, like I know, like, Coscarelli has a boob ratio. Like, you know, every movie has... Like, the first three essentially have all their boobs and all the boobs in them. But it's like, like, why was the sex scene necessary? Like, I understand Reggie wants to you know have sex with her and shit and that's all fine and dandy but was it necessary to, to have a june just so we could see her boobs yes because <laughs> reggie because when reggie's happy i'm happy <laughs> i mean but it's a dream so he's you know what I'm saying so exactly all- that's why it's funny he's showing every other loser who is like oh, what he wants what he can't have 
<laughs> right, because because you know, like it's like part two. You know, like he he does get laid. You know, after complaining to my, it gets hard on the road. And then like you know, he does have <laughs> he does he does have sex, but she's like a fucking minion for fucking uh, the tall right. man. She's a like, you know what I'm yeah. So he basically had sex with like a zombie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'll this one is Avery or Rocky doesn't have the best intro. Her other partner who's killed is fucking annoying as hell. Edna. Yeah. And she said she is so stereotypically black, but yet at the same time, I just I ignore it because I it's a nineties movie. Every movie was doing that, and of course it was gonna date poorly in that part. Yeah. It should have done more with Tim, the little kid who's really good at handling a gun. <laughs> doesn't say much. Uh, I, I I I disagree. I, I think you shouldn't have did anything with Tim. I think he shouldn't have even been a fucking character. Didn't like it. Tim sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like, mean, what, should, he be, should he be whining and <laughs> saying I how mean, he doesn't fit sand? I mean, that's the best thing I can say about <laughs> his character. At least he's not a whiny little shit. That's how know? I like my kids, man. Because <laughs> many other movies that uses kids in a movie well. <laughs> Right, but then again, like, why even have him at all? Like, you know, just so you can have a fucking uh, a rated R Home Alone sequence in the movie. It's like the that whole fucking sequence where uh, they go with like uh, the 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 crew in the pink hearse. They go into the house, you know, and he basically takes them all out Home Alone style. It's like, what the fuck? I actually thought that was fun. Phantasm. Oh man, that's my favorite scene. I actually don't mind the free henchmen because I thought, oh dear, this is going to be uh, hit and miss like Hellraiser free. And it's like, no, they just pretty much are, they're just like zombies. are like, you know, but they're not, they, they don't die. have stupid one-liners. They die so fucking quick and then they come back as zombies and then they yeah. die so fucking quick. <laughs> that's, that's it, but they're just, they got wacky expressions. Okay, so I'll put it to you this way. Phantasm movies for me work way better as a comic book than any other actual comic book adaptation. Boom. Controversial opinion. Sticking with it. Because uh, that's uh, pretty much how you got to approach it. It's like a comic yeah. book. It's just crazy and ape shit. And it's not going to flow like a typical movie because it wasn't made by anyone who was a typical filmmaker, let alone had that much film experience. So, I mean, he had film experience, but he was mainly a writer. And here he's doing his own thing and no one's telling him what he can or cannot do. So, yeah. Okay, Sean, we've hogged the mic way too much. I'll let you yeah, yeah. roast or praise or give an in-between. Ed, take it away. <laughs> I mean, you know, Rob pretty much, you know, covered my feelings um, <laughs> on this one. I, Reggie and, and, and uh, Angus, you know, they're the ones that sell it for me in this. But the rest of it, it was just the second one so much better. Well, yeah, and, no, I get that. I, and to, I just... to, to go from watching the second one and then to watching this one, it was just the, you know, it still had plenty of gore, but it was nowhere near as satisfying. Like, um, I know that, that Kurtzman and, and Nick Terra were out. I, I, I think that, uh, um, what's the guy's name? Showstrom. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's still still doing this one, but um, it just I don't know, man. This movie was out of out of the five. This was my least favorite. Yeah, okay. that's fine. 
this is to- this is totally bottom of the fucking barrel for me. I feel like it's cool and shit, but it's like you, you know what I think the problem is. I think uh, I feel like they're doing more of the Cos- same, but they are the love's not there. Oh. But yeah. with Coscarelli made the conscious decision to push Reggie up to lead character status with this one because Reggie's basically the lead from here on out. Right. And Mike comes a side character. And I think with this one, he thought that because Reggie's kind of like the comedic role, like he's the funny man where Mike was the straight man in, in part two, that mm-hmm. because Reggie's the lead, you kind of had to make it comedic around him. And it's like, basically turn this in like, you know, like, like, like you said, Cameron, like a wild comic book ride. But it's like his, his attempts at humor, especially black humor, it's like Costello, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, it's just, I'm like, like, it was like what Sean was saying with the, they get killed, they come back as zombies, they get killed, and they come back. They come back with no explanation, like, in the car chase scene, Mike unloads the four-barrel shotgun right into the bitch's fucking face. And then right. she's back. Nothing. like Just like uh, we don't know why the tall man came back. Just like we don't know why initially oh, why there's Jody comes back. versions of him. There's multiple versions of him. That's why. Right, but we don't know that right away. So I can take it. There's multiple versions of these guys. Well, how? Probably like, so. how are there multiple zombie versions of these I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, the, the, the there's no fantastic. point in assessing this narrative because <laughs> it's barely there. Try to, try to, so trying to find logic in this shit. <laughs> well, there there's a lot of plot holes in all these. I mean, part one goes really fast. We have to watch it a few times just to make sense of everything. So for me, marathon oh, these all. Sense. It makes sense, but you still just to connect it all. And I mean, like, yeah, like to connect it all, it's gonna take a while, but it all makes sense. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a very convoluted milkshake, and some of it tastes good, and some of it gives you diarrhea. <laughs> um, Mustard. Especially though. this one. Okay. <laughs> enough. Okay, and so once again, more fighting, more dreams, and then, once again, to be continued, and we're followed by Phantasm for Oblivion. And this is another one, which divides everyone, and... Basically, uh, Mike is just trying to understand the tall man. He's trying to come to understanding, you know, be in his shoes. Why does he want to kill? Why does he, what was he before he technically, you know, was an alien and everything. And, uh, you know, to think like your enemy, you got to be like your enemy in a way. So Mike uh, is very more hardened this time around. He's getting more communication with someone who may or may not be Jody. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and then it, it, it plays with that a lot, whether it's Jody or not, you know. So you never really know if he's an ally, and I, I think I think that works to the movies, you know. Apparently, the, the commentary movie, on but... this is pretty helpful compared to some of the other ones. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this one played nonstop on Sci-Fi Channel, so I saw bits and pieces of it, and I could tell it was a big thing. Why. People were talking endless about it, and it was. It was, it's probably the shortest out of all of them. <laughs> no, my was the shortest. Okay. It went a little faster for me, even though there wasn't much happening. Uh, I'll let you guys take it away. <laughs> I've done too much talking. I, uh, I like this one a lot. <laughs> I'm going to, 
admit. Uh, I I remember like I I mentioned the Silver Sphere uh, Phantasm set that I got years ago, and um, I was watching them with uh, Di. This was when me and Di were together, and um, we we binged them all through the weekend, and like we were watching the first one, we were laughing, joking, having a good time, and the second one as well. Third one, I was fucking miserable. And I was just riffing on the movie nonstop. And then uh, me and her watching the fourth one. And I had seen the fourth one when it first came out um, on video. And uh, but this was years after I'd seen it initially. And um, she noted that I wasn't saying anything. Like, oh, you were talking throughout the the first three, but now you're not saying anything. You're just quiet. And I'm like, because I'm watching it, you know. And <laughs> like. <laughs> the- Phantasm Four really shuts me up because it just sucks me into where it's like it's like Coscarelli going back to that like playing around with surrealism and story and the mythology of uh, uh, the tall man or like you know the face of the tall man which we find out is Jebediah Morningside uh, who created the Dimension Fork like that's like that stuff I I love about it. And I also think that this is Reggie done perfectly. You know, Reggie by himself on the road, trying to get laid, you know, fighting, having, you know, monster battles. Like, that battle with him and the zombie cop is, like, my favorite thing in this movie. Fun fact, <laughs> so, uh, that's played by Bob Ivy, the stunt yeah. coordinator, who's yeah. in Bubba Hotep, saw him at a convention. He, he, yeah, he played Bubba Hotep in uh, the Bubba Hotep movie. He also, he's the one that did the car stunt in Phantasm 3 where the hearse goes in the air, which I will okay. admit. Oh. Yeah, that was him who, who who was in the car when it flipped up in the air like that. <laughs> um, but, and that's uh, way yeah. before the you got something better to do scene. <laughs> anyway. uh, but, uh, so, I, yeah. Reggie's I, pretty much still in yeah. ass-kicking mode here. He's just like oh, still... He I love, I love Reggie. In this. this is probably my favorite version of Reggie. This, you know, he's Almost gets kicking. late again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love uh, when um, he's he's trying like he's you know he's noticing the girl's boobs like fucking moving, like let me come spears yeah <laughs> yeah and uh, we're not done here Reg sorry baby but yes we are <laughs> yeah and Jody is just as not as intrusive but slightly as intrusive as in part three where he just keeps coming in and out and any other movie would just have me if it was coherent would have me say, you know, when they're spying on the tall man and Mike's trying to kill him and then he can't cause they're not in the same dimension. And it's like, if I had been Mike, I would have been like, well, what the fuck good are you for big bro? If you notice, it's almost two different Jody's like the Jody in part three is like immensely helpful and hopeful. And this Jody is kind of almost like, alternate opposite jody where it's just like bill's limited acting is saved by incoherentness in the movie (laughs) if you say so (laughs) (laughs) i i think it works uh you know it works for him i don't think he's bad and i've seen worse but at the same time when when you're telling me he has limited acting it just it makes sense to me (laughs) have him say less on screen have him do little and yet still be in the movie Okay, well, hello? Can anyone hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I thought I had broken up. All right. 
I mean, unless I'm a broken record, I hope I'm not. <laughs> Sean, I'll let you get to cracking like a drug raid. So this is one that I remember liking. Um, it's been a while, and I actually wanted to go back and, and revisit it, but I just didn't have the time from when we talked about doing this. I didn't get around to it, but um, I do know that this was uh, – we, we got some uh, some special effects by KMB. Um, Howard Berger and Robert Kurtzman. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And you know the the cinematography in this, and it it had a very artsy, yes, feel it's... to it. Um, and go, I was going through you know some uh, some reviews of this to try to get a, a, a you know an idea to to jog my memory, um, and I saw that somebody had written that this would make a great standalone. And what do you what do you guys feel about that? Because it like uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. I wouldn't recommend it. I, I just think there's just too many pretentious people out nowadays. They would just be unkind, right? And yeah. there's just so much that you're just not going to make sense of unless you've seen the last free. So yeah, I, I agree with you. It is a little more mainstream, but in a good way, as opposed to you whores. You know, you sold your movie to the highest bidder, but. It is kind of one of those where it's like, it could easily, this is the most music video out of all of these. <laughs> yeah. If you know, if you notice that uh, there's, there's quite a few times where Mike is walking through the desert, uh, Death Valley. Yes, I made and, several uh, notes of that. <laughs> you, you can notice that there's like, there's walk, there's somebody in the back. It's almost kind of like Haunting of Hill House, where it's just like, if you if you look closely, you see somebody in the background, like like, you know, like a lurker or something or, or, or a grave digger just in the background, like, you know, blinking, you'll miss it kind of thing. And uh, uh, some of it's delivered. Some of it's just a crew member on a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> At least he wasn't holding a scene, boom mic. Then he'd have to explain. Even more. <laughs> in the scene where uh, they're at the, I think was it Las Vegas strip and it's supposed to be completely desolate. And you could see like this old lady in the background walking, look like she's shopping, <laughs> you know, like she's the only one on the block. Her and Angus Grimm are the only ones there. Like <laughs> Angus Grimm is walking around like king shit of the city. And there's this little old lady real far in the background with a shopping bag. <laughs> <laughs> right. Get her to show like old lady get out of the way. Fuck you, I'm shopping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just Reggie just taking the car this time is also just kind of funny. He's just by this point, he knows that he's apparently the actor in real life has actually taught acting classes in recent years. But I can see why he realizes that whenever the camera's on him, he has to provide fodder, so to speak. He has to be either killing or joking or being some other just kind of reacting. He is the reinforcing what the viewers think and saying, what the fuck kind of world are we living in now? And he's. Uh, yeah, he's. He he gets a few ass kicking scenes, but the movie's not as heavy on him. Most of the time, it is just Michael going through the desert and making sense of everything. And uh, I figured I was gonna be a I figured I was gonna be alone in my liking of this, but I, I actually like this one. But yeah, it gets hammered on quite a lot. <laughs> Lots of I like this. I like uh, he he has my my favorite line of Reggie. Like uh, I love uh, "Come on, you mother." And uh, the first one, um, <laughs> hate it. Hey, hey, this guy's not gonna leak all over my ice cream, is he? Um, 
But uh, my 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 favorite line in this movie from Reggie is uh, <laughs> after he kills the the zombie cop. Uh, man, some cops can be real assholes. <laughs> I forgot about that. He does that. <laughs> Everyone likes to roast how oh they're using a lot of outtakes and stuff, but it's like compared to other movies, you know. I would never have known that had I not looked at that. I would have just figured, right. okay, that was a choice. And apparently that was a choice, but everyone just keeps making sense. Oh, they're, most, half the movie got shelved. Oh, they had to make sense of it. And it's like, yeah, but it's not like a you know every other Roger Corman movie where we got to use stock footage from the last release because we didn't shoot much of the new one. And well, and the fact that I, I would never know uh, had I looked that up. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think it works because, you know, especially, you know, how far would they go with it in part five? Like, you know, they're playing with the, the notion of alternate dimensions, you know, and just like and see I mean, going back and forth. Of the tall man, yeah. so we're going to have flashbacks of Jody. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, things, you know, what I'm saying that, you know, what you see or what you don't see kind of thing. And I think that this, this work as Coscarelli probably realizing, yeah, I should fucking did that stupid shit with part three and uh you know let, let's get back to like you know that sci-fi angle because you know like remember this is a sci-fi horror series so let me get back to the sci-fi i mean the, the sci-fi kind of overtakes the horror aspects of it a lot because like when when it's mike's side of things it's kind of more sci-fi than anything else except you know the few creepy moments where you get the flashback so what is it the the civil war and uh you Lots see the tall heads. man <laughs> yeah. so, actually that uh that's later tall man has um tall man has uh one of my favorite lines in this one too when he's about to drill a mic's head and now this won't hurt a bit well maybe just a little bit <laughs> you know and it's like one of the few jokes the tall man actually tells right <laughs> right uh how, how do you feel when you're seeing the origin of him whatever the hell that meant where you're seeing oh, he was, uh, like, once a human before he became, like, taken over by, like, this alien uh, zombie force. <laughs> and, Hello, do I know you? <laughs> Jeremiah uh, Morningside uh, uh, owned the mortuary that... Uh, I like all that stuff. I like that. Like, finding out that uh, he was actually the inventor of the Dimension Fork that they use as the gateway to get, you know, to and from uh, the tall man's uh, dimension, his, his home world. I like all I, I like all that stuff. You know? He makes you almost forget that he's going to be a bastard later on. <laughs> right. You know, it's like wait, you know, come back, and then the fucking uh, the fortune teller uh, is actually uh, his 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 mother and shit, his elderly mother, who keeps reappearing. The fortune teller from the first one, you know, her creepy little laugh. <laughs> you know, I like all, I love all that shit. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised you guys like it because you guys were like, "Oh, I'd leave it at part three. <laughs> so I, no, I he should have. He should have left it at part two. But uh, I mean, uh, I, I mean, if he decides to continue on, gives us a sequel that's good like part four. Uh, fuck it, you know, might as well. I'll sit through the insufferableness that is part three to get to part four. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, anyone notice how the car explosion is almost as big as the house explosion from the first <laughs> explosions? It's it seriously staged very similarly. Like it's always in the upper right hand corner or some shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. was... uh, 
on the commentary, I know Reggie uh, Reggie Bannon says that Don just likes blowing shit up. He also, not to cut you off, uh, Cameron, but he also noted that uh, in the commentary, Reggie Bannon said that uh, uh, the KMB actually took a pay cut to work on uh, Phantasm Four. Hertzman um, is the man. If you're serious, yeah, he will. Uh, he, uh, Reggie actually, uh, I think at a convention or somewhere that. Uh, oh no! When they worked on uh, Wishmaster, uh, he said that uh, that he was he was telling Nicotero that Don was trying to get another Phantasm, but he was having trouble finding funding, you know, getting money on it. And uh, Reggie said that Nicotero told him, "Tell Don to fucking call me." And, uh, you know, that Nicotero actually did work on it for, like, I think very little or maybe even free, like, you know, because, you know, yeah, because, you know, Nicotero is an awesome dude, you know, awesome dude, like, you know, you, you could count on him to, to look out for you, you know what I'm saying? He'll hook you well, up and shit. It's just like, sad how they've had to have all the blunders, all the speak for themselves, because, I mean, Raimi's helping out Kurtzman, Nicotero's, you know helping out everybody and they're putting in good words for him. And yet it wasn't really until recently that he's, you know, the walking dead go-to guy, but yeah. And it was like, but these guys is like all the phantasm guys. I, I'm, sh- it, you know, they, they only had to wait like uh, four years in between the last one. So they're still fresh and ready to do whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure they, they still have a kind of a, they're on the wire. They're barely getting them done on time and they're, you know, they don't know how it'll turn out. They just have to do their best with what they got. Right. I especially find it very interesting how Mike in this at one point is like, I just wish I hadn't been born at all. <laughs> he says that at one point and it's like, it's kind of telling. It's like, it re- release yourself from the hell. And so this is where these movies work for me in a dream state. You know, they, they really only, but it's a very interesting dream. It's a very interesting kind of hell. It's a very, you're saying stuff that won't be coherent with the next scene because it is just like that. Dreams are, you know, violent fantasies at times. So, right. That's all I got left. Uh, Do we want to go with the final entry? (laughs) I'm I'm gonna have to admit, I haven't seen it. Oh. Oh. Okay. Well, I uh, I've only seen it twice. I saw it once when it first came out, and then again for the purposes of this episode. And uh, my my uh, my thoughts still remain the same. It um it started as a web series that was really? going to focus. Yeah, it started as a web series that was uh, going to be done by uh, the eventually credited director David Hartman. That was just going to focus on Reggie, like Reggie uh, after the ending of. Uh, four after oblivion and it was just going to be like his journey through the you know the desert and shit and you know going on various adventures and uh don decided that let's just take this and add to it and turn it into a uh a phantasm sequel and that's exactly how it feels the it feels like a web half a web series and half added tacked on phantasm shit um it's a long story short this is a just more dream jumping, more greatest hits tributes, more hit and miss. He he goes really far into the altered alternate dimension stuff. Like 
where it just and I like a lot of those ideas and and then again like a lot of it doesn't work and then a lot of it does like I like that play between like like you know going side by side with like how the world's you know like what's Reggie Mike doing on this you know dimension on this plane of existence as opposed to what are they doing on this plane of existence how everything coincides with that I like that stuff but then a lot of it's like I I could tell which stuff the the credit director David Hartman shot and which stuff Coscarelli shot because he shot he had stuff uncredited uh and you could just tell you could just tell with uh, what he added and what the other guy did. Definitely the I actually the- couldn't tell. I thought it was all just one low budget shoot where sometimes the cinematography was working and other times it wasn't. So uh, Oh no. Um uh a lot of it some of it, like half of it was shot in oh uh, for um two thousand fourteen with uh where it was you know, with the idea of it being a web series and then Coscarelli saw it and decided we should add on to it and group it all together and make it a fantastic sequel. And then he added stuff like there was uh, I, I, um, Michael Baldwin wasn't even going to be in it. I don't even think Angus Grimm was going to be in it or Bill Thornberry was even going to be in it. It was just going to focus on Reggie and you know him like, going through this adventure. And Coscarelli decided like, yeah, let's bring back Mike and Angus Grimm and Bill Thornberry. That's why Bor- uh, Thornberry's. Uh, basically cameo in the movie feels so tacked on because he wasn't essentially meant to be in it. And, uh, I mean... I didn't feel like it was tacked on, but fair enough. I I thought so. I felt it was tacked on. Like, I figured they... I mean, it's sweet, but it's like he just shows up out of nowhere, you know? I figured they they all just had these all in mind because, remember, then there's the after-credits scene where Rocky from Part 3 shows up and kicks some ass and talks to the dwarf fighter. Yeah, the, that that so, that felt the, like let's just throw Rocky in there as well. It's like still yeah. better than any other Marvel after credit scene. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so to give you an idea, this is kind of a fan film. Yes, yes, Yeah, it's an overdone digital look, but I'm gonna argue that it's a better fan film than either Star Wars: The Force Awakens or Hellraiser: Revelations. So. She give yeah. me an some serious competition. No, it's it's, <laughs> like, it's it's like it's like um, it, it's better because uh, Coscarelli actually helped out. You know what I'm saying? It would be like if they did those Star Wars movies, but Lucas helped out on them. You know what I'm saying? Coscarelli actually, you know, kind of like yeah, yeah, the, this is good, this is good, but like let's do this, let's do this to make it, you know more connected you know what i'm saying and at the same time it's like it is trying to be kind of just a fun like it doesn't even remotely try to get you interested if you aren't familiar there's like hey this is only yeah this this isn't trying to like you know they don't give a fuck if uh you know we're we're, this is for the fans and that's it you know if you're an outsider go fuck yourself kind of thing (laughs) i will say though the opening car chase I mean, this this whole franchise always has cool car crashes and chases, but I'm not going to say this is the best one. No, not even. But they did a good job filming it. And that says a lot for, you know, low-budget filmmaking because, you know, they're staying inside most of the time, so you can't really see, you know, you don't have time to track and see, you know, if there's anything else moving outside just because of how they framed it. Because, I mean, he's being attacked by one of the spears. Now I will say the spear animation. This mm, mm, not not good. 
really and, bad. And, and I get it. And that's what blows my fucking mind. I don't know how they did the animation for parts two, three, and four. And I mean, those were the 80s and 90s. So what happened here? But I well, get it. That's, they, they're relying totally on CGI now to, for the ball effects where, you know, back in those movies, it was just a fucking like a softball that they painted silver and they just had flying around on a string. Yeah, yeah, but you remember the softball. I mean, you see just all this other blended effects and reflections and other stuff. It's just like, I still, it blows my mind how they could have done that. Because effects were better back in those days. Like CGI just, you know, it has its pluses, but it definitely yeah. has a minus. This definitely shows yeah. the minus. It. Well, <laughs> like, that's why I go back to fan because, I mean, the other director, his only experience is writing for, like, other animations and everything. So I yeah. get where he's coming from. He's totally approaching this like a serial. But at the same time, it does feel like this was just animated by a bunch of fans. It, it feels like a movie that they were trying to make, and then they just said, fuck it. You know, look, we we want to get it done, but it can only... Was there a crowdfunder for this at all? Because it does kind of feel like it was completed with I, fan support. I, I I don't remember one. I just remember I just remember it getting announced out of nowhere. Like, oh shit, they're making another phantasm. And then uh they announced that I think 2014, and then like they were like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then everybody's like, yo, what the fuck happened to Phantasm 5? And then finally, uh they when they remastered Phantasm after that, then they finally released uh Ravager. Ah. Uh. So they had to have, so yeah, that tells me there was just a lot of management and it was in production hell and other bullshit that no, probably. What, what I think happened was that uh, they they initially shot the, the the web series footage, and then Coscarelli saw it and then it was like, oh yeah, we're gonna turn this into a movie, and then the two years in between that announcement and the release was them shooting the new footage to add on mm, to. Okay. And well, and then, you said how, this was a web series, and strangely enough, okay. Well, it's funny you say that because I think this would have worked way better as a web series in a weird way. It's just funny how some stuff works better depending on the format, you know? Right, because it was that's how it was intended to be. It was always intended to be a web series, so it's like I wonder if like the director's like, oh, God. you know, if like if it would, if I knew it was going to be a movie, I could have done it so much better, you know? Right, if you guys would make you up your. You could see it in like the opening five ten minutes that this is just like this. This is obviously like you know, like you said, like a, almost like a fan film. Most uh, of the low, bear, but you're just. It is kind of like, okay, right, I'll put it to you this way: This is like a popular band that's putting on a one hell of a show, despite having sound and lighting and <laughs> issues and the. Now for this film, halfway along the way. Uh, it is. It does kind of feel like it loses its voice. So that is the equivalent of you go to a concert and the lead has to down some extra water and clear his throat because <laughs> he's right. been singing so long in the tour. And that's this is just it. This is a farewell tour, and it's not the best tour, but you're they're still trying their best, even though you know. And you can't blame the studio or anything else. Well, I mean you can, but you you're still admiring that the main people involved are still trying to give a hundred, even though everything keeps varying. Clearly they shot it over different days because the lighting varies, but 
I'll just go back to the, even just the opening car chase. I just love how this time, instead of him getting carjacked or uh, using a car, he flat out, he does the carjacking and says, get the fuck out of my car. <laughs> and just uh, flat out just faces off with those spears. By the way. That's uh, David Hartman, the the guy who car, takes his car and he takes it back. Really? Oh, yeah. the guy who gets run over? And so that's the other thing is... Uh, and him putting on the shades and then waking up with the retire in the retirement hole with Elder Mike. I, I just thought those were cool scenes. But like the opening car chase really for me, this was like I- I'm watching this. I'm making my notes. I'm like, this is almost as expendables as the expendables. <laughs> Do we, we just it's maybe more so maybe less. I don't care. It's. It's a rough. It's not exactly shit sandwich, but it is just, it's still rough around the edges. It's like Lesser Babylon 5. It's like what it can't do, it just can't fucking do, but there's still some goodness in there that you can just if you just force your brain to just shut up and say okay, obviously I'm not going to get, you know, industrial light and magic effects, but that's okay. It's just, it, there are a few different times where I have to it, it's going to benefit from a rewatch because I will say it is just very rough just at each introduction that just the trend what does parts of this movie in are just all the transitions you're just not ready for all the shit being thrown in at you and that's why I think you know this in part four just would not be good because I mean you're just not going to make sense of it <laughs> right it, this one is highly ambitious in its storytelling uh, yeah, like, they have the you know, stock footage showing all the disasters and invasion, and even though the right. laser the effects added on aren't convincing, it still does what it's supposed to. It gives you the idea. And going to the the tall man's home world, and yeah, know, all that, and like yeah, like just you know the going back and forth between alternate dimensions and stuff. It's like it's very ambitious, but it's it's obvious they didn't have. The, all the funds to just make all that, like, you know, yeah, you know, from the life per se, you know what I'm saying? And that, keeps waking yeah, up I, in a retirement home and it's just showing you old habits I, die hard. I, I like that, you know, it's like, yeah, whether this is all the ravings of an old, you know, crazy Reggie, you know, and Mike is sitting there with his ponytail all sophisticated and his glasses and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, gla- the shades were a cool bit. Uh, really, what. The only part I don't like is the horse killing scene. I really don't know what the oh fuck. Oh my god, was. that was so bad. That was it, it was so like Survival of the Dead, where I'm like, why is this junky scene in? So it was worse than Survival of the Dead. That scene. It's not. <laughs> it's not an awesome scene like Godfather. When uh, when you're gonna get with the horse killing, boy howdy, you better do a good job. I know I'm not a psychopath, people. I'm just <laughs> fucking with you. I mean, really, I. I it, it was just so there. Like, take it out, it you, nothing changes. It's just like, it's like they wanted to get everybody's attention, and I, I really don't get it. <laughs> I mean, this has already been a pretty animal, uh, uh, non-gratuitous killing franchise, so I, I, they could have kept it that way, but no, someone... Yeah, they, they decided to just... You know, and uh, horse fucking, uh, it was it was really bad. I did like though how um, they had uh, Danny Roebuck in there. Yeah, uh, who fun fact was 
doubled by Bob Ivey back when he was on Nash Bridges. So. <laughs> really? So. Yeah, uh, Daniel Roebuck is, is very known to be like a really have like almost a, a cyclopedia horror movies for a brain. Like he's incredibly knowledgeable. Of horror. That's why he shows up in so many. I didn't know Daniel that. Roebuck. I I know Joe Estevez is a big fan of him, having worked on yeah. the movie. Daniel Roebuck is great. I like when Daniel Roebuck shows up in shit because he's great. Totally. River's Edge. We were soldiers. Yeah. So I didn't understand his character, but his character makes a little more sense because he's like talking like a Russian or something. Oh. He was supposed to be German. His name was like Detmir or some shit like that. Yeah. Right? So it's like he's. So then this is where it totally goes all X Files in the second half where it's like this whole big brother is watching you and lo and behold well well i don't want to spoil it since uh you know <laughs> sean hasn't seen it but uh it's surprising nonetheless so this Are is you... basically five different movies stitched together oh yeah for better or worse i mean i thought they did they tried their best to like you know to you know basically do like you know make it all seem seamless you know it doesn't entirely work but uh like i said like i i love the ideas they displayed i just wish they had like a little bit more money to do it you know that is what it yeah. is yeah well i mean i they just should have just had some more consistent scenes because you're watching it after time yeah you're i'm not i don't ever really go into reshoot mode i just go more into uh, this is such a different vision than the other vision because it's just, or they, they got a different cinematographer because it's just barely matching up. Yeah, totally. Well, I think you guys have sold me. Now I'm going to have to watch it. All right. <laughs> I, you said you had the whole box set? From... No, I don't have the box set, but I, uh, I know it's on Shutter, so I can... It's also on uh, It's also on uh, Prime. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I can, okay. I can check Perfect. it out. Yeah, I... You know, it's, like I said, when, when we first talked about doing this, I told myself I'm going to go back and, and rewatch uh, two and three because we had watched the first one recently and then, uh, you know, watch four and, and five. And, uh, yeah, I just never got around to it, but that's on me. <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, because I figured you guys were going to be way harder on this because, you know, I had only seen the first one twice and I was watching these all back to back. For this episode, and you know, I'd seen parts of part four, but it didn't register. I was just like, "Yeah, I know, I've seen that, and makes sense of it because it's confusing as fuck." <laughs> I I seen parts one and two, especially part one, like just in the same number of times. Like part four, like maybe not that many times, but I've seen it quite a lot. Um, so I I I have an extensive knowledge of it where I didn't need to see one, two, or four. For the purposes of this episode, three and five, yeah, not really three. Like I said before, like you know, I, I remember quite a bit of it. I just, you know, just wanted a refreshing. Five, definitely, I had to rewatch because I had only seen it once. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So, if you don't like any of these, you're not gonna like part five. And at the same time, it could have been far worse. I mean, uh, for for me, it's just like it's just. The series just becomes more fan service, just more of the same and less like, I mean, part four tries to be like more like the first one, but uh, while well, doing this, using the style of part three. But yeah, the rest of them are trying to be like, you know, uh, part right. two. And so 
I mean, this is, once again, this is very hard to recommend because mileage is going to vary. So these aren't high art, obviously, and they're not for Oscar snobs or deep thinkers. It's not campy, but it's not a waste of time or moronic either. It's violent with without feeling uh, overdone or exploitive. It's low budget without feeling restricted half the time. It's random without being scary, scary, like deep, deep, <gasps> but it's still freaky. It's organized, unorganized, but like deliberate on organization where you witness, you know, this alien dismantling a bunch of towns while invading the hero's craniums. And so, yeah, it's not as silly as a full moon entertainment franchise, but it, I, I could understand if you wanted to rank it as high as evil dead or Wishmaster or just any other franchise. I mean, it, it's all going to vary. So based on your persona it is pretty much it. So you, you yeah. really don't know until you work. <sighs> yeah, so I'll let you guys rank it. Uh, how would you rank all of these? Like, just give give a brief paragraph and a rating. <laughs> well, if I had to, uh, if I had to rank the movies in order of uh, like to dislike, I'd have to go with uh, probably Phantasm Two, Phantasm One, Phantasm Four. I'll make Phantasm Five in the four spot, even though I haven't seen it because it's got to be better than Phantasm Three. <laughs> okay, so one, two, and four are going to be a four out of five. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And three is going to be a two or three or nothing. Yeah, I, you know, I'll give it, I'll give it a two. I'll, I'll okay. be. Cool, cool. And um, so, I, Rob, uh, you're doing. Uh, one, one definitely has to be. One will always be my favorite. Um, you know, I know I'm, I'm. The, uh, the outsider a lot of it at times, you know what I'm saying, because I know two is the favorite, and I can understand that, but uh, one just, you know, I'm probably biased, but I just, I, uh, I I love one, you know, as much as I love the original Nightmare on Elm Street, you know oh, what I'm shit. saying? <laughs> competition here, people. <laughs> I, used to, I used to watch Phantasm a lot, like the original Phantasm, like the first one, I used to watch it a lot, like, yeah. like just crazy amount of times you know to the point where it was one of those movies where like my father was like watch something else please <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, like there's one there's two but two is like like i, I love two quite, quite a bit almost as much as one one just gets the higher up because you know it was the one that got me into the series as is so like one will always get the up and up over two but i love two just as much you okay. know Two, two is just fantastically done. Even though it doesn't have no Michael Baldwin, uh, I appreciate everything else about it. So those are uh, four out of five. Oh, uh, um, part one is a five. Part one is a five out of five. I, I rank them the same. <laughs> but I, I'm not yes. tied, like not tied, but uh, they, I rank them at least five out of five. I mean, in my eyes, um, four uh, definitely number three. Uh, I really, really enjoy four. Um, I, I think, you know, I know that's maybe a controversial opinion to some people. I know some people like it a lot too. I've, I've talked to people who actually like Phantasm four a lot, uh, <laughs> and that's definitely 
uh, number three, I'd give that a four out of five. Um, part five, definitely the fourth spot. So I'd give that a three out of five. Really, you know, ambitious. Uh, not all the ideas work, but they have a lot of good ones in there, and they try their best, and, you know, they get a good rating, you know, just based off that. And part three can go to hell. <laughs> no, so I'm not going to even give it a rating. Got it. Uh, it, it it's a big, fat fucking zero. Such a piece of shit. Holy shit. All right. I, I, I cannot stand that fucking movie. Like, dude, like, I, I, I rewatched it for the purposes, and I didn't even make it the whole way through. I'm like, no, I, I, I don't need this anymore. This, this, this still sucks. Yeah. All righty. Well, I'm going to give all of these a three and a half out of five. <laughs> all all the same rating? Yeah. I like two and three and four the most, but they, they all have their moments. They all have their gotcha, bitch. Just... Not not catering to any formula except their own, and all comfortable being their own kind of bizarre shit hitting the fan distorted vision. Um, and that's and that's why I respect the series the most. Because, yeah, like you know, we're, we're doing our own thing. You know, we're not trying to be like anybody else over here. Yeah, especially in a, in a time where you know the slasher craze is going on, and everybody's right. following that formula. You know, it definitely stands out when compared to those. Exactly. Well, and, and that's kind of also why I kind of compare it to the Warlock series, because it is kind of just that it matches up elements of other genres as well. And then just uh, for better or worse, then just kind of uh, just you, you never know where it's going. And based on what you like determines whether you'll like these kind of movies. So, I mean, it, it, it this is why it's just hard for me to recommend everybody because, again, your mileage is going to vary. You might say, oh, I like this kind of stuff or stuff that's similar to this, but it's, I don't know, man, I couldn't get into it. Or, oh, I love this, you know. So it, right. because of the inconsistency, you know, I'm, you know, for all I know, you guys could have even hated this and I would have been the only one defending it saying it's worth a watch. It's crazy. It's weird. So I, I'll just leave it at that. It, you, it's been a hell of a lot of fun doing this with you guys and giving yeah. a different retrospect on how it was just one of the ones that embraced drive-in circuits and home video and just kept gaining a cult audience in little ways more than it actually realized. So thank you for summing it and breaking it down, seeing how it evolved over time, how it's aged. Uh, I mean, because it's, it's just good to know because I find this a hard thing even when you rank the movies by year, whether, you know, I, I watch it all the time, but is it a top 10? I don't know. Maybe it is, right. maybe it's not. <laughs> right, absolutely. Where would you rank this with the other horror fantasy sci-fi franchises that you know and love? Like, uh... Like Hellraiser, Nightmare, Friday uh, the Thirteenth. Oh, uh, I, I, put <laughs> I put it. I put Hellraiser because uh, as as you know, hit or miss as the series gets, uh, it's still a lot better than fucking Hellraiser ended up. Yeah. Uh, Hellraiser oh, just like what the fuck is going on here? Like, <laughs> this like, is still yeah. better than Children of the Corn, but that's no contest. Oh, 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 a lot of- <laughs> Better than Children of the Corn, yo. Like, <laughs> Children of the Corn just became a, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. uh, 
I gave up after fucking, uh, 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 what was it, uh, part three, Urban Harvest, where the climax, they were literally fucking, you had a hand puppet grabbing fucking Barbie dolls in the air. Like, <laughs> this horse shit. I wouldn't horse know. Shit, sir. Part five, the one with uh, Carrie Fred Williamson. Yeah. Uh, I know part five had Eva Mendes. I think that may have been the one too. I know Maybe one of them had. Uh, no, Billy Drago was in part eight, I believe. Oh, part eight was a struggle just for him alone. Yeah, Jesus. It's, uh, right. it's, yeah, I, it's, no, no, I get it. It's fucking terrible. But just seeing that, just no, no, no. car chase from not... Bad Boys Two, shamelessly taken, and it's like, what the fuck just happened? Right. I, I was just I was just like man thing like why the fuck are there so many children in the corn movies? Yeah. Ironside yeah. is the one. I barely recognize Charlie Theron in her screen debut in that one. So there you go. Yeah, part three, yeah. She like I think she's even dubbed in, uh, I think in so. part three. She doesn't yeah. sound at all so that's why I missed her. I'm like, hey, that's that's and uh and I know I think Naomi Watts is in part four, if yeah. I remember correctly. And then uh, no, even no. Des- part five. Because I watched these all out of order and was just trying to look for titties. And <laughs> I, I never made sense of any of those fucking movies, but I can make sense of Phantasm because it's it's bad shit crazy. It makes sense. That's why. <laughs> At least Custer at least trying well, to make sense. Even it though it makes sense. And, well, that's just it. And so, it, and unless you're paying perfect perfect attention you know it, it's hard to make sense of half the time who's running around in their dreams and who's running around in the wor- real world but it does it with uh for lack of a better word just confidence as opposed yeah. to we don't know what the fuck we're doing we're just i mean maybe they didn't but they do it in a way where it's at least feasible you can at least just stand back and watch so yeah that's why i'm comparing this to warlock because warlock is also all kinds of batshit insane that whole series. Yeah. So yeah. if you can handle those, you can probably handle this. If you just want something more deep, like Candyman or uh, better Hellraiser, then you probably won't like it. But if you just want just something just, just insane and just crazy and not necessarily so demented, but just very, just, wow. Uh, someone had the de- had the nerve to just, make their own bizarre distorted vision and get away with it and defend it at the end of the day. Okay. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, That's all I can say. I'm out of words to describe it. So I'm going to let you guys plug this. It's been so much fun doing it with you. Same here. About time we did this too. And shit, we've been begging you to do this. I know. I, yeah. I kept trying to sneak in other small stuff. And then I was like, I don't That's know. That and I'm then just, you're I'm like, done. let's just fucking do this already. So I was like, all right, you've heard the man Rob has put his hammer down. The gavel is out. Let's just do it. <laughs> uh, like, come on already. I fuck you, boss. You fuck you, work. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> all right. Totally. But, uh, um, oh, but before I plug, uh, I forgot to mention what we talked about. In the butt. That um, <laughs> the, the, the house disappearing effect that they use uh, the the funeral home when it disappears. Uh, that's actually the uh, transporter effect from the original Star Trek. Wait, in the first one? Yes. When the house disappears after like Reggie's killed off and they drive away, when the house disappears, 
that's the trans the original transport effect from uh, the, the TOS, the Star Trek. Oh wow! Did they steal it? Like just take it without anyone knowing, or well, did they? The guy, the guy who did the effect for Star Trek is the one who did it. Oh, okay. So well, and I think that is kind of why I open up to this. This does all these movies could have easily been episodes of Tales from the Crypt, Star Trek, or even fucking uh, Twilight oh, Zone X Files. Yeah. Um, and it just was always so wild to me because, yeah, they would show Phantasm 4 after reruns of shows like that and, like, X-Files. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. but, uh, to, uh, I'll, I'll go first with plugs. Um, you can find me as butt. a drunkie. On, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you can find me as a on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, you can find my numerous writings on ultimateactionmovies.com as well as actionflix.com and my blog. TheCinemaDrunkie.wordpress.com. Uh, you find my Star Trek podcast, Bros on the Bridge, the, as well as uh, my upcoming one, The Action Drunkies, where we'll be discussing uh, action movies we all love and dear. You know, uh, podcast by action fans discussing it with action fans. So look for that. <laughs> nice. Fucking perfect. Thank you. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Slasher, Shaun of the Dead. Um, you can find our podcast, uh, House That Screams, on uh, Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. And uh, be good to one another. Please. This is precious time. All righty. No, thank you all for being here. Always a pleasure talking to you. And Thanks, uh, for st- stay freaky, my friends. Uh, all righty. Boom, all right. boom, boom. And pushing the button. on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up review show. Show.